Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast. I'm Mike David here with Kieran Murphy. Hello there, Owen. Would you consider yourself self-confident, Kieran? You bet. <laughs> That's exactly the answer I wanted. <laughs> We're talking to Michael Conlon today. Well, I've already talked to Michael Conlon. Well, it depends, actually. on, doesn't it, what? really? You know, you can be self-confident in some aspects of your life and then... You know, not self-confident enough. Well, you don't understand the nature of self-confidence, then, Murph. May I direct you to Potter Harrington via Bob Rotella, his psychologist. Okay. Potter told me not long ago that he learned the difference between swing confidence and self-confidence. So I think what you're talking about there is swing confidence. Mm. It's not real. If you've merely got swing confidence, Rotella says, you believe, well, sorry, this is what Harrington says, you believe you'll hit the ball well because you've recently been hitting it well. But that confidence disappears quickly when the swing falls out of the groove, as it inevitably will. Mm. Self-confidence to Potter was something more valuable. He knew that when he had self-confidence, no matter what circumstances he found himself in, no matter how he was swinging on any given day, he could play his game. His mind would be helping him rather than hindering him. So I think I'm talking about real self-confidence. Potter Carrington's self-confidence. Michael Conlon self-confidence. We talked to Michael a number of years ago. First time we interviewed him was before the Olympic Games. The would have been the last one, four or five years ago. Young lad. Uh, wasn't, hadn't probably done many interviews at that stage. Quiet enough. Lo- lovely fella. We knew he was up and coming, knew he was going to be very good. Since then, he's won a hell of a lot. Uh, he's now a world champion, Ireland's first ever male world champion. And he's been doing a lot of interviews recently where I've noticed a shift in his attitude where he's actually talking about how great he is yeah. and how great he's going to become. He's going to go professional and he thinks he's going to become uh, an all-time great pretty much. This is something that we get into. You'll hear this in the chat that we had with him. But I was quite impressed by that. We talked to Richie Sadler in the football podcast today. Argentina. That guy, Richie yep. Sadler. How does Simon get these things up so quickly? I know. I, I know, didn't. Say, I didn't say I was going to mention Richie Sadler, and within a split second, Argentina's up there. Anyway, the Richie Sadler soundboard is never. Well, far that's from true. Simon's, that's true. Simon's Simon plays that in his own. Yeah. <laughs> Simon has that at home as well. Plays it sometimes yeah. to his wife and child. Yeah, but it's kind of weird to be yeah. honest. Uh, where that's was why I? he doesn't uh, invite Richie over. I was talking about self confidence. I was talking about Michael Conlon and how confident he is, and how struck I was. By that, and I like it. Richie Sadler was talking about Richie Tell. We asked Richie Tell, "Could you play for? Ar- Do you think you're good enough to play for Ireland now?" Richie Tell, being the League of Ireland's best player in the League of Ireland at the moment, he said, "Yeah, of course." And he was impressed. But it. it's not something that Irish sports people are necessarily that comfortable doing. Mm. But I sometimes wonder why they. Th- oh, well, I do. It's obvious why you're you're setting yourself up for a fall. Life's if you say a little how, easier. Yeah, you know, if, if you, you just you... keep your head below the parapet a bit. But certainly for a boxer, I think. Pff, you're going to have to prove it in the ring anyway. Yeah. Like, it's not as though you might as well talk as much as you want outside. Yeah, because... actually, that's, that's weird because, I mean, you, you, you say combat sport, uh, McGregor is making millions out of talking a lot of trash. And, and Conlon has referenced McGregor, Doesn't by the way. feel like going four yeah. rounds. Katie Taylor, there, another boxer. <laughs> not one who talks herself up to the extent of no, Conor McGregor. But I think that uh, it, maybe it is easier to do it actually in the fight game or in uh, combat sports because as you say you either win or you lose it's not like it's a nebulous thing well you know judge me over the course of a season he's not quite as good as he says it's yeah as a boxer you're well I can talk trash and win or I can talk trash and lose no one really seems to to mind and by the way Michael Conlon is great he's a great sportsman already he's a world champion amateur world champion not I'm not not that it passed everyone by but I, I don't know if because the amateur boxer has been doing so well, because the Billy Walsh story happened as well, maybe the, there's a sense that 
Uh, yeah, another boxer has done well in this tournament. To win a world championship, to go to the Olympics, he's ranked number one in the world. He's going to be the number one seed in the Olympic Games uh, in his weight category. And he's going to go professional afterwards. It's unbelievable. This guy's a real top top yeah. person, a very impressive person I found. Yeah, and the, the, the Billy Walsh thing as well, like it did, it 100% did overshadow. Yeah, it was around the same time, you know. Yeah, it was a little, within a week, later, yeah. uh, Billy Walsh had, had, had gone, I think. Yeah, the big, the, weeks, the big but. mentions, it was funny... You, Michael Conlon got a lot of publicity in an ancillary kind of a way. It was, yeah, oh, as recently as last week, he was in Doha preparing the boxers yeah. where Michael Conlon won a gold. You know, but like that's kind of the, it was being used in the context of uh, the, the suddenness of the yeah. departure. And it's this thing, I suppose, that you, you don't pay attention to anything that is in the Olympics, whereas the World Championships is just yeah. such an unbelievably hard event to win. Uh, and we've never done it before. The, he, this is our first Mail, ever yeah. World Champion uh, in a, a first ever male World Champion, which is... Yep. you know, extraordinary, and didn't get didn't get near enough coverage. That that I was going to get some time. coverage today, Murph. Uh, believe me. First up, though, English rugby. <laughs> the whole thing, right, about the England team this time was whatever about whether they're going to succeed or not. They had a coach who had instilled these values. There was going to be no toxic fallout mm. this time. They were going to play with pride they were going to win or lose they had the right sort they were the right, the right sort. sort all of them were the right well, sort well now I tell you Murph ju- what is a couple of lads jumping off a boat really in 2011 yeah. compared to this Sam Burge has gone back to rugby league in shame disgracing the England jersey that's not what I think but there's, uh, there's a school of thought out there that he came over didn't work out didn't have the stomach in fact his coach at bat said yeah just didn't have the stomach to fight for his career Mike Ford. Unbelievable. We're going to talk about that. Stuart Lancaster gone. He's obviously been more conciliatory in his remarks. And uh, another story has broken over the last day or two involving Mike Brown. I love Mike Brown. Remember the interview you gave after they lost to Australia? This, the one-word answer interview? Yeah. I kind of enjoy when players do that, to be honest. Yeah. I would say it's a bit rude, maybe, but it's also... It's, it's, it's actually really uncomfortable for the interviewer, but yeah. literally there's no one else that doesn't love those. And it's also exactly what... I mean, he, what he's doing there is he would be... If his mother was asking about the match, he'd be yeah. giving her the same answers. He yeah. just does not want to talk to anyone. So I, I always find this. But Mike Brown has talked about, I uh, probably needed the background for this story first, right? So there was a lot of stories during the tournament. Even before the tournament had ended, we had heard that players who had been in the England squad were telling a few tales out of school. This has continued through the end of the, the tournament. Uh, uh, you know, this is happening quite a lot. Dave Tennyson is the England kit manager. So he was, he's being investigated by the Rugby Football Union after accusations that he encouraged several members of Stuart Lancaster's squad. I'm going into reading the story here. from This is the Sun on Sunday, Murph, so it will sound a bit tabloidy. Uh, several members of Stuart Lancaster's squad to buy shares in an oil drilling firm, leaving them with potential losses of more than £100,000. Tennyson, who's been the team kit manager, I'm giving you too much background here. Anyway, he's, ac- he's accused of sending England players emails during the summer training camps and even two days before the opener against Fiji to get them to invest in this company. Sam Burgess, not surprisingly, maybe, uh, he's in the news in this one. Danny Kerr and David Wilson are among those who reportedly invested in the shares, according to this report. So that's the background. But the point about it is these things ha- happen in squads. Certainly sports people make bad investments quite mm-hmm. a lot. The, f- the fact that it's become a story is because it's been leaked. And it seems as though uh, Mike Brown might have suspected that this leak could have come from the players. He's, mm. he's, he's coming out and saying... This isn't on. We'll talk to Shane about this at the moment, but uh, Mike Brown within his rights maybe to have a go? Well, he is. You know, like, well, he's within his rights to say what he said, which is basically none of us have the right to say anything because we flopped at the World Cup. Yeah. Uh, now, he goes further and says anyone talking off the record, basically accusing his teammates they are talking off the record to just put your name to it. Mm. And if you've got something to say, put your name to it. And, yeah, like, he's well, he's completely in his rights in that he reckons... The whole thing is screwed now. Like the idea that of Team England going into the rugby world, that no longer exists. He he it's he says it's hard he, it's hard for him to think of any of his teammates as teammates after what's happened over the last month yeah, or so. That's which is amazing. Saying, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's an amazing thing to come out come out with. Uh, and well, of course he's within his rights. I mean, the idea is you get a coach, you start again with a completely blank slate. So. As far as he's concerned, it's done and dusted. He can say whatever the hell he likes. Meanwhile, in Team Ireland, our kit man mm. shows what's all about. Rala, he, he just gets sweets from Mike Ross from the laundry room. Yeah. Fixes the lads' boots the night before. That's your job, that, Dave Tennyson. Don't get people involved in <laughs> potentially not very lucrative <laughs> investment schemes. Anyway, uh, we're going to talk to Shane about this right now. Uh, I might as well give a, 
bit of more background in as regards what Mike Brown has said. Shane, I don't even know where to start talking about England, to be honest, but we'll, we'll start with this Mike Brown stuff. He says, I don't think anyone was good enough in an English shirt to be piping up saying this was wrong, that was wrong and that sort of thing, if they're going to say something, I think they should put their name to it. That's going to make it even more difficult when we, the England squad, meet up. Because I think trust has been, as you can imagine, completely shot now. That was Mike Brown. What do you think of that? I think he's probably right. But unfortunately, because he has now come out and said that trust trust is completely shot and he's sort of been pointing the finger then, does that make the situation even worse? Um, I think it's going to be a very interesting first training session back for everyone if they normally have a camp around Christmas. Um, I think there might be a few guys that aren't looking each other in the eye, but there certainly is a huge breakdown in trust. Uh, the coach is now gone. I don't know what the situation with the rest of the backroom team. Um, I know there's there's frictions there, and there's been media stories. It's it's you know it's not an ideal place to be. That said, um, there's a lot of good players in that English team, and if they can get the right coach, if they can uh, give him the flexibility and the um, um, the room to to work and the time to work with them, I think, you know, the crooks of that England team, the, the individual individual players are very good, but um, you know, building a camaraderie and, and a teamship that's going to take a while. Yeah, the background to the uh, well, there, I mean, there seems to be a, a number of leaks, but the background to the Mike Brown comments were that England's kit manager Dave Tennyson uh, is being investigated apparently by the RFU. He was encouraging players to get involved in, in uh, share, buying shares in an oil drilling firm uh, which hasn't gone too well apparently uh, the investments that go well usually don't get talked about but apparently these ones haven't done particularly well anyway they're investigating him at the moment and this has all become public which seems to have really annoyed Mike Brown but as maybe their best player and a guy who sort of does speak his mind a little bit is he within his rights maybe they're at a point now there's no coach uh, there's, there, there's a big there's a review going on into what happened in the World Cup maybe now is the time for someone like Mike, Mike Brown to pipe up and say this isn't acceptable all these leaks yeah maybe it is I think you're, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't in, in some ways and listen we're still debating now how many ever years after you know, the Roy Keane's decision to, to, to make comments and I know um, that wasn't you know it's not exactly like with like but I think um, there will always be a couple of schools of thought. Uh, one saying that uh, it's good to speak out, uh, especially you know after a World Cup. There's you know there's a huge um, change process going on, and maybe this will allow for you know fundamental changes and and for mistakes not to be repeated. You know there's the other side of the argument then that's saying that by bringing these things up, you're undermining everything that's gone on and and work done, and you're you know maybe making things more difficult. Um, <laughs> It's hard to know, you know, which is the best, um, you know, which is correct and which is the best method for for change. Um, I think, you know, Mike Brown speaking, you know, fairly honestly, um, the World Cup is over. How much more damage can they do? It's going to be a complete regime change. So maybe no harm to get everything out to allow, you know, the wider public have a little bit of an insight into what was going on. Um, around World Cup time and, you know, some of the reasons for failure. And also, you know, he sounds like he's exasperated. And I think you you, you develop a bond uh, when you're going into a World Cup. And if you look at that English team, they've been developing something. You know, Lancaster had been talking about a, a culture of honesty and trust mm. and teamship and, you know, putting the team first, putting the, the team ahead of the individual. And that's been something that they've been building over a number of years. And I think that was, you know, I really admired that from England. And I have to say this, up until this World Cup, you had to say, looking back at the previous Six Nations, number Six Nations, this was an English team that was hard not to like. And I think that was very much came from you know, from Lancaster. Uh, the problem was, you know, he had talked about these, you know, this culture and this this values, and you know, putting team first. And then Lancaster himself was the very one who um, who blinked with regard to that, and you know, he parachuted in uh, Burgess. Uh, he he dropped. Um, uh, Ford, who was the the primary ten and the man most likely to see them, and who'd really regenerate their back line. So, you know, he made decisions like that, uh, and and that I think was fundamental in breaking down a lot of the trust uh, originally. Shane, just um, I'll talk about Burgess in a second, but just last one on Brown. If you're one of his England teammates, one of the guys who hasn't leaked anything, somebody who's kept their own counsel, hasn't talked publicly, and hasn't leaked any of these stories, would you be more annoyed with the guys? who, as Mike Brown says, aren't willing to put their names to things but clearly are leaking information or would you be more annoyed with Mike Brown for actually putting his name to it and going public in this manner? 
No, I think that, the, you know, you always feel that if something's being leaked out, um, it's kind of, it's very undermining and, you know, you think that it's quite sneaky. I think if, if you stand over your comments, um, I think that there's a, you've got a stronger argument to say that you're doing this for the benefit of the organization and not for your own personal benefit or some sort of uh, agenda or vendetta that you have um, because maybe things didn't go the way you personally wanted. Um, so I think if quotes that are attributable to an individual, I think always carry more weight. Um, and I think from, you know, would be in a, in a unit, I think, you know, you can still go into um, a meeting with your, you know, a head held up pretty high and say, well, this is, you know, I've been willing to stand by my remarks. Then there's others that I've been here. And, I can tell you that Mike Brown, and it really seems to come out with his comments, Mike Brown has a fair idea where these comments are coming from, yeah. and I'm sure a number of players in the squad would have a number, uh, would have an idea where, they're, um, where the comments are coming from. And, and again, that's just another thing that really undermines trust. Like, I don't think what Mike Brown has said um, is going to have you know, necessarily affect his standing in the squad because he'll stand over it and he'll be always be able to say, listen, you know, this was going on. I had to, you know, I'm just trying to put a stop to it. And, you know, I stand by what I said. You know, there's a, a number of individuals in this room that didn't, and they, they snaked their um, their fellow teammates. Speaking of strong quotes, Mike Ford talking about Burgess, his, his coach at Bath, says that he didn't have the stomach to fight for his future in rugby union. That's his phraseology. What else does he say here? Um, for me, this is the time for him to roll up his sleeves and become the player I thought he could be, and he chose not to do that. Understandable anger from Ford, do you think? I, to be honest with you, I'm a bit surprised at Mike Ford. For the last, I don't know, about a year, he's just, he's been a quote machine, you know, and I, I had first-hand experience with Mike when he was backs coach in Leinster, and, you know, he's a very good professional, very diligent at his job, but I don't know, he seems to take, have taken on the role of, of a, you know, a, a soccer-type manager who, who seems to, you know, look for headlines himself and, and is constantly being quoted. And I didn't think he did his son any favours right through the World Cup where he was constantly, you know, quote, giving quotes about um, about the, the selection and also, you know, critiquing England. I, and I don't think that, you know, did himself or certainly his son any favours. Um, I think, you know, he's he certainly has a right to feel aggrieved at the Burgess situation, especially if, you, if it's long-term planning um, that he's done. You know, it does look, it's, it's been left with an egg on everybody's face. I don't know if ad hominem attacks are probably the way to go. Um, and I don't know what benefit, um, you know, saying that he didn't have the, you know, the direct quote, he didn't have the stomach for it. Um, I'm not sure. We don't know what exactly was the insight and what the reasoning was. I know the family reasons were mentioned, but I think the most, you know, obvious one for me was that, um Burgess is one of, if not the best rugby league player in the world, and um, it was a, going to be a huge transition to to play at elite level in um, in the union. And I think it, you know it dawned on him that it, it, potentially that wasn't going to happen anymore, or, or certainly not. He's not going to be as influential a player player as he was at league. And does that mean that he would have been wasting his talent somewhat in the union? I actually think he would have been, and I think he's made the right call. I think it was probably a bit of a naive call first time round. Um, moving to Union but I think if you know not every, everyone is good at everything he's a world class properly world class brilliant league player you know just be a brilliant league player yeah, and it's funny. I, I've kind of noticed that shift when he first, when it was first announced that he was leaving. There was, seemed to be a bit of anger, understandably, maybe England supporters feeling that they were let down. This guy came in and is now leaving just because the World Cup didn't go well. But the more you know, Clive Woodward now is talking about how much of a disaster it was. That and a lot of people are saying that really Burgess has been let down by English rugby, or if not let down, then uh, you know. You're, Guys like Stefan Armitage are over in France, not allowed to play because they're earning their living elsewhere. And yet this player is parachuted in. That Maybe the whole Burgess fiasco says more about the way English rugby is doing its business than it does about him. Yeah, I certainly. So listen, he was sold a bit of a pup, wasn't he? You know, he's come over to to Bath, you know, playing this team. You know, I'm, I'd be surprised if some sort of deal wasn't done with regard to 
um, how much representative rugby he was going to play, and or indeed he was, you know, guaranteed uh, a place in the World Cup squad. And we don't know that. We might never know that. I doubt it's going to come out of the internal report from the RFU into the World Cup now. Um, but why wouldn't he? He was offered an astounding amount of money uh, to come and play Union. There was a, it was a World Cup year. There was the excitement of playing um, a sport that is is no matter which way you want to look at it, more international sport than league, uh, more competitive at, at uh, more competitive teams at an international level, and you know it, it was it's a it was a fantastic story. It was it was a brilliant. But if you look at the history of rugby league converts, how how long it takes them to convert, what are the skill sets? Um, that are needed to convert and the positions that they convert well into. I think it's quite well documented that um, you know Burgess wasn't really a fit with any of those categories, and so his success uh, or lack of it wasn't that surprising. What was surprising for me, as I mentioned earlier, was the, the way Lancaster dealt with it. Um, you know, he'd been preaching everything. He'd been so solid over the last four years about what it meant to be an English player and how it had to be earned and had put them on a really good footing um, off the back of the, the 2011 you know, World Cup fiasco. Um, and then dealing with Burgess' situation the way he did, um, I think undermined all that. And you know, players aren't, aren't silly. They're very aware. If you try and sell them one thing and... and uh, you know, for four years leading up to World Cup, and now that all goes out the window, um, then it's going to have an impact, and it did have an impact, and I think that more than anything affected England this World Cup. Yeah, the, the thing that really interests me about the Burgess situation is that uh, if it was a coach alone making a uh, taking a gamble on a player, it's you know, it's, he a coach makes a wrong decision, he's proven wrong. The coach takes the blame, the player takes the blame, that's it. But what you're actually talking about here is an entire institution, the RFU itself, taking a gamble. And what it looks like from the outside is if we get the world's best rugby league player, certainly Great Britain's best rugby league player playing in this tournament, that we'll sell tickets to the tournament that we're hosting. And what it's so, you're not talking about a coach making a misstep and a player uh, having to cop that. You're, you're actually talking about an entire institution taking a gamble on a player in a very, very cynical business move. And that's what makes this a fiasco far greater than just a selection mistake by a, by a coach. I'm not certain if that is true, Murphy. You know, I, I don't read it like that, I have to say. I, I do, I don't really, um, I don't view it as a, a financial um, situation, decision. I do think um, that it was an institutional decision um, but for the you know the idea, they got blinded by the lights a little bit of having this mm. world class twelve as they saw him uh, come in um, in a position that has been an issue for England uh, you know for for uh, for a long period of time in the centre having a ball playing uh, twelve, and they were blinded by the fact that there was this brilliant English guy who's a big tackler who was selling the um, league light in the NRL in in Australia. And he could be the answer to all the players. You throw enough money at it, you give him, uh, you know, certain guarantees. You uh, get put him in a team like Bath, you know. And six months down the road, we've got a fully formed England international in the centre who can, um, you know, Macgitto type that can pull the strings, but also has the massive you know, tackle power and carrying power and offloading that England wants. And to be honest with you, it was never going to happen. And um, I think everyone in, in England wanted it to happen so much that they thought that it could without maybe doing the proper analysis on the likelihood of, of, of it happening and the skill set that is needed to convert, and especially in that position. All right, just a quick word. The Champions Cup is starting this weekend. We were talking to Jerry about this. I have to say, our conversation with Jerry didn't fill me with optimism about the next few months. Is this a competition that the Irish provinces should realistically still consider themselves contenders for? Uh, yeah, of course they're contenders, and and uh, they remain contenders. Um, like Ireland have won um, six nations back to back. They've got some of the leading players in Europe. Um, like the, the there has been a bit of change um, where there's more Southern Hemisphere players have come into. They're, they're um, playing against better teams, though, Shane. For example, yeah. you know, Ireland playing France is one thing, but Leinster or whoever it might be playing, well, Leinster in this case playing Toulon. I mean, Toulon are a lot better than France. 
Yeah, listen, but if you look for, this is a knockout competition. The problem is trying to get through to the knockout stage. And for Leinster in particular, that's going to be very difficult, less so for Munster um, because of the um, group they're in. Ulster have a fighting chance to get out. But um, I did a column recently and said that Toulon have brilliant players, extraordinary players, but they don't play extraordinarily well all the time. Yeah. And we've seen in the top 14 was won by a very, you know, from, from not a prolific European team in, in Stade Francais. Um, and, you know, on any day, I, I put any of the three Irish teams to beat Stade Francais. So what you have to do is you have to peak for the key performances. And um, especially if you get out your group, you get a, key, a peak for the key performances. And maybe hope that Toulon don't fire to the maximum. But you know what? I've seen Toulon fire a lot over the last three years, even though winning, even though they've won a, 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 um, three European Cups. And they, they've won it very often without firing at, at 100%. And, you know, that says something about them, but it also says about the opposition. Um, and for me, the way that you play against the big French teams and English teams in Saracens, the way that you can beat them is play a different rugby to the style that they play. Um, and I think it will be interesting to see um, what we see from the three Irish provinces this year. Because with the coaches they have, there's been a change in Leinster, there's been a change in uh, Ulster. And I think um, uh, Anthony Foley is sort of betting down something new and will have to try something new in Munster if they're going to proceed. What you can't do is think we we don't have the same players or big enough players or, or powerful enough players to take on Toulon. You have to say we have you know, the type of players that we have and we now have to find a way to win without with them. Um, otherwise, it becomes very depressing. Shame. Brilliant stuff. Thanks, Emilio. Thanks, Emilio. Murph, the big news in the sports media world this week was TV3's. I'm going to call it a coup, Murph. Mm. I'm, I'm talking tabloid again here, but I'm going to call it a stunning coup, by, a stunning TV, coup. by TV3. Whatever about the World Cup, which is amazing, there's something about... Maybe we were used to it because, uh, you know, we've seen it as a time to before. It's been something that has been not on RTE in the past. And it's a one-off tournament that, uh, you know, TV3 got the rights for that. That was impressive. They did it well. Uh, and that and that was that. But the Six Nations has just always seemed such as an institution of, or do you just assume that whatever happens behind the scenes, it's just going to stay with them. Mm. So big news that TV3 have got it and uh, probably shows the, the how much TV stations like them are now valuing live yeah. sport. Yeah, well, I think the 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 key word you use there is just that you're used to it. And the reaction after the after the news broke yesterday was... Ad it, breaks. It, yeah, it basically <laughs> boiled down to two things, like ad breaks and change. Like, we fear change, to, to quote uh, 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 Garth from Wayne's World. Um, <laughs> and that's it. Like, pe- pe- when it comes to sport and sport on television, people just... This is how we do it. Let never ever change. It's like uh, Richard Keyes and Andy Gray 
go from Sky Sports and it's like, well, this is terrible. And then they're replaced with better people. And But it, it's, it, it, the reaction when they left was, well, football will never be the same again, you know. And that can't be the case. Obviously, it's not the case. The, football, the reason you're watching is not Richard Keyes and Andy Gray. And it's not the RT panel or the TV3 panel. It's the sport. So, and when you look at the top 10 most viewed, I have it here, the top 10 most viewed programs in 2014, five of them are sporting events. Four of them are Love Hate. You know, I've never watched an episode of Love Hate. I'm turning into like Richie really? Sadler with Father Ted. I've never seen one episode. Of, well, I think if you watch one episode of Love Hate, that means you're in then. You got to watch oh, yeah, all of them. Yeah, yeah. So if you miss the first series, I'm not going to join in the second series. So you, when we talk about Nidge around the office, you've no idea who we're talking about. Anyway, well, so we're, we're, we're I know who Nidge here. is. Top, top, um, yeah. Top uh, watched programs then. Late Late Toy Show. Of course. Well, uh, Love Hate, two, three, four, five. Uh, but then after that, 878,000 watched the Six Nations finale in 2014. Uh, 858,000 watched the FIFA World Cup final. Uh, uh, the GA uh, football final, 826,000. Hurling fans, 784,000. How many watched the toy show? 1.357 million people. So that's probably the only show there that's above the World Cup figures for TV3, for example. Yeah, well, the, the peak, peak figure... Uh, for one of the games, the Ireland-France game, I think it was 1.4 million on TV3. Yeah, and it was around that for, I think it held firm enough for Argentina yeah, as well. Yeah, so I mean, these no, and this is not something that you can watch on demand. This is not something that you can record and watch no. at a time of your convenience. This is live programming, which means you can sell ads on the back of it yeah. in a way that you just can't do anymore with, with other programming. So Hopefully they won't sell too many ads though. I, I know what you mean by fearing change, but I think... The yeah. ads were a big thing. <laughs> the, for the, the ad, the halftime ads were really annoying. Yeah, and because I, and I enjoyed, I particularly enjoyed uh, Matt, Matt Williams, obviously, and Keith Wood. I thought they're very good. Uh, it would be interesting to see what they do oh, because Keith Wood is BBC as well. But BBC have lost the they have, have the so, ITV. Okay. Yeah, anyway, listen, yeah. we're, we're not here to speculate in the future of Keith Wood's broadcasting yeah. career, but uh, you know those guys in, in particular, I enjoyed listening to, and you want to hear them at halftime, and you just don't. You know straight away it's a rushed feel to it because it is rushed. Because there's Matt, um, Matthew wrote a piece, and out of the 14 minutes of halftime, there was something like 72 mm. seconds actually on air. So I don't know, maybe they're in a there might be a different commercial model there where they just sell well, one or two less ads, but yeah, it's a longer term deal. So uh, maybe they they you know, over the course of four years, they will get into a, it's a rhythm of things. I, I it's, it's very interesting, and I, you know, it's one thing to rain on it, but. You know, have have a structure behind it other than I'm going to have to go from 102 to 103 <laughs> on your uh, Virgin right. Media box. Uh, Irish Times Second Campus Football Podcast is out now. That's... Yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm, walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to you, face. I'll say it to you now. I'm down to Anfield, and we'll see them, won't we? What you doing down here, you show me, man? Yes, on our football show, we... Well, it's not very often you get to be... It's kind of like the podcast equivalent of live-tweeting someone missing their flight. That's basically what our football show podcast is. So it's a preview of Ireland-Bosnia... With Ken Early in Heathrow missing his connecting flight, <laughs> <laughs> and Richie Sadler in studio, which is probably better. Yeah, it's, if you give me the choice, I'm going to prefer to have a guest in studio than missing his flight. Last we heard, Ken Early was hightailing it back to yeah. Dublin, having missed his connecting. There are a lot of flights to get to Sarajevo, as in you have to take a number three flights, mm. which is kind of nuts in this day and age. Ken missed one of them. It's always a danger with all these different flights, and but not the first. Is on the way back. We we should we should oh, say that there, he, yeah. he 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 got up. I mean, his timings were right. Oh, yeah, he, he was on the money. From the point of view of getting to the Just airport. Croatian Airways or whatever you call them. Yeah. Let him down once again. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the bet noir. Have a listen to that. Michael Conlon is a Commonwealth champion, European champion, world champion as of this year, Olympic bronze medalist, and one of Ireland's top sports people. I'd like to get the chance to chat to him. It was late last week. This is last Friday. We met up in the at the National Stadium. There was a there was a weigh-in going on for his brother Jamie Conlon's fight. Jamie's undefeated. He won that fight subsequent to this conversation. So he's going really well in his professional career. And there's a little bit about about Jamie in the chat that I had with Michael and about Michael's own family history with boxing. But uh, let's hear what the world champ had to say. Michael, it's great to chat to you. We're here in the, I was about to say the Olympic Stadium. I've got yeah. the Olympics on my mind, I think, given, <laughs> given that you've got them in your mind at the yeah. moment. What's your schedule to, uh, right now? 
At the minute I'm off, I'm, I'm actually on a break now from the Worlds, I've been off for coming up to three weeks here, so it's been a good bit of rest, I'm starting to get a bit bored, uh, <laughs> sitting about the house and not doing nothing, well, daddy do, do duties just, but uh, <laughs> you know, that's, that's it, but I need to start to get back in the train there, I think. I'd imagine you're not great at doing nothing, you'd rather be, you'd rather the Olympics is around the corner? Yeah, I'd rather the Olympics be next month now, just to get it started and get going, well, a good bit of it, probably a few weeks away, so I'd get the preparation in. But uh, I wish they were so soon, so get them over and done with, and move on to bigger and better things. Bigger and better things being the professional game. Yep, yep, definitely. You know, Olympics is going to be the, the pinnacle of my career, no matter what. I think even a professional to win an Olympic gold medal is going to be hard to top. Even if you win multiple world titles, it'll still be very hard to top. So, you know, I want, I want to, I'll, I'll see it for the moment when I when I get there and do it. But I want to move on and 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 just start making a lot of money in my career and pushing on to bigger and better things as I say world titles and multiple weight divisions for me yeah because you really do I mean it's not an easy your, your brothers obviously were here at the weigh in today so you're seeing what it, you know what it's like to be a professional boxer really through your brother and I'm sure it's not easy for a long time you really have to hit those heights you have to hit world championship heights to to make a name for yourself and to make a good living for yourself yeah you got you gotta be the best you gotta be and you gotta you gotta aim for the top all the time as they do and you know I've seen what it is, and you got you got you got to be have the ladder to start making some serious money, and I believe I have the ability to go and do that because what I've done here in the amateurs is, is unheard of, and I believe I can very easily go and do that in pros. I think it's going to be a lot easier to do it in the amateurs. So why do you think it'll be easier in the pros? Because uh, you know in the amateurs there's only one world title in the pros. There's three, four, or five world titles. So you know it's not one world champion. It's don't all fit each other. Mm-hmm. I'm 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 actually the best in the weight division when you have to say the likes of. Carl Frampton, Scott Quigg, Rigondo, they're all sitting there and it's Leo Santa Cruz, so you know, there's multiple world challenges there and there's not just one, you need you need one maybe maybe even bring it down in the professional ranks to one one world title. You uh can you give us any details on what your plan might be, professional or e- even whether it's gonna be in the US, whether it's gonna be England, what way you're gonna go? Well I'm I'm undecided not yet, not you know, I'm open the offers and uh I'll see how it is. I have a plan in my head what I kinda wanna do and I'm, not, I'm still not 100% whether I'm going to start my career here or start it in the USA. It's going to be a, a big decision for me and my family to make, but it's going to be a career smart decision, not just on a family smart decision. You know, it's not going to be a, just a qu- quick and easy one to make. It's going to be a hard and long one to make. So, I'm not, uh, even though I'm turning over right off the Olympics, I don't, I don't see myself fighting maybe for six months. Maybe. Okay, because yeah, I was interested in whether you wanted to have that contract nailed down before the Olympic Games. Or might might it be better to wait till afterwards? You ideally you're an Olympic champion and can get a better deal. Yeah, no way. I wouldn't. I don't have my contract nailed down. I would never nail myself to something before going to the Olympic Games, where I believe I'm I'm gonna go there and win gold. And I really I really do believe it. It's not just saying it. You know, I really do believe it. So why would it, why would I sign a contract with someone or nail one down, which is gonna minimise my my chances of making more money? How much of a role is your family going to play in that? You, as you mentioned, you've got a young daughter now, so it's got to be a big consideration. It's going to be probably the biggest and maybe the hardest decision I'll make because, you know, it's it is family and she is growing up here and she's going to the Irish school and stuff. And there's not in the USA, there's not going to be much Irish school. She's just <laughs> going to be learning learning our, our national language. So, you know, it's going to be a uh, it's going to be tough. But if it's if it's the right decision to make, I'll make it because you know they know. I can make a better life for Diamonds by going and re- reaching my potential as the top of the world. And if it takes the USA to have to do that, I'll have to do it. It's really clear how confidently you're talking now, Michael. Is that? I mean, there's quotes from you even from earlier today. I can see what I'm going to do, who I'm going to fight in the Olympics, and what way I'm going to beat them. No matter who's in front of me, they're not going to stop me. It sounds a little Conor McGregor-ish at this stage. Well, you know, people people kind of talk about what I say. It's about when I say it's, I'm Conor McGregor boxing. It's kind of took it wrong. I could, I could have said I'm Muhammad Ali, but he's already in boxing, so you know, I, I am predicting what I'm doing. I'm not saying I'm Conor McGregor and Bryce and not going to copy what he does or do what he does. I'm just predicting what I'm doing, and he can, he's kind of been doing it in the MMA and, and, and succeeding. So, you know, I'm not saying I'm, I'm, I'm copying another sportsman. I'm doing what I do best, and it's performing, go out there and perform. But I'm showing I have the belief in myself to do it, and what every fighter should have, you know. Every single fighter, you think it adds an extra extra level to your game. Oh yeah, it's just that I guess we've grown up with Irish sports people in different sports, usually often afraid to voice those those kind of. Uh, maybe boxing is a little bit different, especially when you're going to go pro. You have to sell yourself, but usually there's a wariness almost that 
okay, God, if I taught myself up too much here, what happens if I lose? You don't seem to have that mentality. Yeah, well, the thing is, like Irish, all Irish sports, even a lot of boxers as well, they're, they're all very timid and shy kind of people in, in the themselves that wouldn't really brag about what they are and, and who they are. And McGregor's took it to another level by doing that. Like, but, you know, I think you got to have a, a balance there where you are quiet and confident, but you got to sell yourself and you got to be out there because, you know, the people who are going to want to wanna see you are going to want to hear you. So you have to have to voice your opinion and voice who you are. So, uh I have talked bits from our athletes like Muhammad Ali and Conor McGregor and Shu Ray Leonard and stuff so they have all predicted what they were doing and it's kind of what I'm doing and I see it's working for me so I'm going to keep doing it So McGregor has had an impact on you in that way? Yeah well I've seen uh, I've just seen the uh, way, way he he conducts himself and how much belief he has in himself and you know he may not be the best operator in the world but he's going and doing the job because he has that belief in himself you know these guys are in the game a lot longer than he's in the game and he's just come in and took over all of them because he has that belief and that voice, you know. He's going in there and talking himself into, into where he wants to be. And he's so, he's, he is selling out the places, so it's it's fantastic what he's doing. It's great for, great for sport and great for Irish sport. It's great to see how well you're going. I remember the first time I interviewed you was in a studio setting a few years ago and you were a very young lad at the time. You were just starting to make your way. And I can actually sense the difference in your mentality now. I'm sure you always had a certain yeah. confidence, but whatever about talking yourself up, the fact is you're doing it. I mean, you're going out, you're winning, you're the first Irish man to win a world title. So I'm quite interested actually meeting you now and just seeing how confident you are in your own ability and what you're, how comfortable you are with yourself. Yeah, I think last time when we met, I was only, I think it was before the Olympics anyway, it was, it was, I think it was with, with the Electric Ireland thing. That was it, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I was there and I, I've always been confident myself, I've always been confident about what doing. Like, I went to the Olympics last time and I was told I had to wait, well, not wait, I still told, like, not to worry about anything. I was, I was real, I was, my goal was real and that was what I was going to be seeing for real, was where I, I, I was succeeding. I says, no, I want to go here and succeed. I didn't want to, I didn't want anything else but go there either. And I came away with bronze, but I was only I was only young, I was only nineteen, and I had that belief in myself then. Maybe not as strong as as what I do now, you know. Now I have a serious belief in myself, and I just know now it's different. It, I can feel it's different. You know, it's confidence and experience, and you know, being there and doing it is is completely different to just saying it. So you have to back it up, and I just believe it. I, I talk myself and talk my mind into believing it. So when even if my mind, if a doubt comes into my mind. I just wipe it right away. Even if it's there at the time, it goes away right away as soon as I think of a positive. Are you even able to think that clearly in the middle of a world title fight as you, you were knocked down with about 30 seconds, 20, 30 seconds to go? You're smiling at the memory now. Yeah, like uh, I am spinning now, but uh, you know, at the time I was just in shock. Like uh, There was no time to panic, there was no time to think. It was just, you got to get up and you got to win this fight, you know. You're up here, you've got the feet in the bag, you're 20 seconds, 30 seconds away from, from taking this title and making history for Ireland. And, you know, I get up and nothing fazed me. I was up and I was ready to rock again. There was no, I wasn't off balance. I wasn't, he hit me a good shot and I went down. And I was, I was recovered as soon as I stood my feet, so I was happy. Yeah, your performances were, were brilliant, I thought. I think you're probably the only person who's thinking, I could actually go a bit better than that. Yeah. Everyone looking on thought, Jesus, that's incredible stuff there. The, the way you talk about, and you mentioned this at the Web Summit again last week, the difficulty, no matter how, like, this is incredible, the achievements that you've had over the last couple of years, and yet you still say you, you, you can't get a sponsor, for example, yeah. and that it's just, I mean, obviously there's grants and so forth, but outside of that, it's it's kind of strange that you you don't feel you've maybe got the recognition you deserve. Is that the right way of phrasing it? Yeah, well, some people are saying boxing's a hard sport to sell because it's, it's an all-action sport with people getting hit and people getting hurt, but... You know, it's it's not like it's a sport that people are dying in all the time. You know, it's not a sport that people are getting multiple concussions in and collapsing on fields. It's like that's not that's rugby. That's that kind of sport. So, you know, I think it's a lot safer than people think. And that's a amateur boxing. Yeah, it's amateur boxing. You know, I think I think uh, people kind of. I think it's people are starting to come into it now because and Katie has kind of brought it back first. She's kind of put it back on the muffers because how well she's doing. And hopefully I can put it back on the muffers and, and hopefully maybe bring in sponsors for people who are coming after me because at the minute like it feels feels like I'm never going to get a sponsor because it's very very tough. Like people don't seem to be want to be involved. But you know I hate to sound like broken record and going on about it because they don't want to talk about it no more because they just want to get on with my life and 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 do what I gotta do and hopefully someone will come and, and get on board. But you know, like, well, recently enough, like a guy's came and uh, he's he's sponsored me with suits, Chris Suter in Belfast. So 
uh, anytime I'm going to the awards and it's nice to have Chris there because he, he sits me up and get me, has me looking sharp he has me doing has me looking sharp for the punditry tomorrow night as well so it's a good uh, it, it's a good sale for him and good for me like it's good for my profile as well but you know maybe maybe someone will come in but if they don't they don't you know it's, it's their loss like I'm going to be going on to a big professional career and I have a big big career ahead of me and you know I'm going to be. I know I'm going to be Ireland's Ireland's greatest ever fighter. That's it. That's what you believe. Yeah, I, I believe. I believe I'm going to be one of the world's best fighters ever as well. Best, one of the world's best ever. Yeah, ever. Do you miss Billy Walsh around the place? Oh, no, I haven't really been down training, so I haven't haven't uh, really missed his presence. Yet. I know he's actually here today somewhere, but uh, you know it's it's sad that he's gone, and uh, I'm a close friend with Billy. And you know the day he rang me and told me he was leaving, I was I was shocked and. I was good for him because it sounded like he did want to stay, but you know he have better. He did have better options over over in America, so why not take the better option? It obviously became a huge news story for it was been about a week, two weeks maybe it was it was going on for. Uh, yeah, <laughs> surprised how big it, it got. It was it was crazy because it was it was like a, not even a week after I won my world title and I can't everything was Bruce to say then because of because of all the stuff with Billy and I was kind of got it at the same time for I was got it for him and then I was got it. As much for the fact that like I wasn't like it was I won a world title first ever and just kind of brushed under the carpet like at the start like I still kind of is like so you know it's just a bit it was a bit unforced the timing of it all and uh, you know it's, it's it kind of left a bit of sour taste in my mouth. Did it just it was overshadowed it by was, that? It was overshadowed happening, yeah. there, you know it was, it was unfortunate as well. It's it's not one person's fault. It's not it's not the two people's fault. It's, it's a whole bunch of them. So you know. Uh, yeah, sort of and that's a tricky enough thing to talk about, I'm sure, because you've you know you've had such a good relationship with him. Yeah. And I, I suppose one thing that maybe has been overlooked. Well, I've seen it mentioned in some of the, the stories around the time of his departure was the quality of the other coaches. I think yeah. people within boxing know about Zor, for example. Yeah. But you know, you're talking about your own father, yeah. uh, who's who gets an opportunity now. There are a lot of guys, very talented coaches, ready to have a go here. Yeah, you know, Zor. I think he's the. The greatest coach ever, the Gracie Shores, definitely. He's fantastic, you know. It's not a big of Billy, and I'm definitely not because Billy's a fantastic coach, but Zora is the best technical, technical and tactical coach I've ever seen. So, you know, I think even in the world, probably, he's probably the best because what he does is something different than everybody else. He adds his own thing, he does different things. He learn, he's learning all the time, he's learning off the Russians, he's, he's ringing the Emmons, ringing the Ukrainians, ringing the Kazakhstans. And he's always learning. That's, that, that's the biggest thing a coach needs to do is keep learning and keep involving as a coach. And he's always doing Why that. do they answer those calls? Because surely you end up fighting some of their guys. I would have thought they'd be like, oh, geez, here comes Zor, we'll, we'll leave the phone down. They're probably trying to learn things from us. Of course, too. So, yeah, you know, yeah. like, uh, the fact that they're all learning of each other is fantastic and it's great for boxing worldwide that they're all learning and no one's trying to stay still and trying to do one thing over and over again some of the kind of Ukrainians fell into that and they're way down the table now so uh as in they became secretive yeah they, no they uh, they became secretive and then they kept doing the same thing that they were doing they right. weren't really learning anymore they were doing the take guard go forward stuff and nah they didn't I don't think they finished the top 10 in the world like, so you know we're always getting better and better and that's the fact that we're learning and then you have like my dad and Eddie Bulger who are two from his Hasse coaches who are just being like sponges besides order just sucking everything he has and learning everything he has and it's it's great to see like you know you're captain of the team Michael this year I was captain of the team for the for world championships but I'm unsure if I'm going to be the Olympic captain because I think Paddy will have something to say about that yeah know? of course yeah yeah how, how does that get how does that get sorted out is it just well, a he, I've already ran into people and was in the words and I was asking I was the captain and Paddy says I, uh, said, he didn't even say to me he was in the interview and he says I'll be captain in Rio and then doing this year so he's more or less telling the world I'm captain in Rio not Mick but uh, you know it's Paddy and I'd be happy to follow him yeah well listen sounds like Paddy Barnes will make a good vice captain to yourself when you're the, when you're the captain may, of the competition he'd make a good vice captain or captain well maybe not he probably wouldn't make a good vice captain because he'd probably always contradict me of course yeah you, you need know, to be number one yeah. need to be yeah. number one but yeah. uh I think I, I think if I was selected as captain for the Olympic team, I, I would do a good job. As I had to, done the world, you know, I lead by example, and that's that's my main goal, and that's my motto. Like I have to lead by example. If I'm going to be a captain, that's what I'll use as my motto: is lead by example. Well, Mike, I'm glad it's going so well for you, and thanks so much for taking the time today. Cheers. You know, thank you. Oh,
Thanks a lot, Pepe. Yes, sir. And their new World Federation Championship, That was Michael Conlon. I was chatting to him late last week. Hope you enjoyed the chat. I was really impressed with him. I, I think that was pretty clear by even my reaction to how he was talking in the interview. This self-confidence that we talked about earlier on. It's clearly real. It's not something that I think is manufactured. There's an, he's clearly made a decision here that I'm going to talk like this. And in his case, if he is going to go professional, he pro- it's it's partly a commercial decision as well, I guess. But there's also nothing to lose by it. And I don't. I think he's backing it up with what he's done in the ring, which is always the case. You know, Ken always says this about McGregor, that McGregor's won all his fights since hitting the big time. And that's, if he loses things, maybe change a little bit in terms of how he's perceived. And Conlon's obviously a very different character, but has, has taken a little bit of that sort of McGregor um, marketing uh, ploy to heart. His He did talk there, and we had mentioned it before, about the world title win being overshadowed by the Billy Walsh story, which mm. is kind of sad. Yeah, it is. Um, and it's, uh, I mean, if you're sitting down now, it's, uh, we're into November and people will start talking. Well, in Britain, they start talking about this in January. But if you're t- talking about the Irish sports personality of the year this year, who who would it be? That involves serious brain activation here, Murph. Um, I'm going to say Michael Conlon. <laughs> you could create, a, you could craft a very, very strong argument for Michael oh, Conlon yeah, to definitely. be the Irish sports personality of the year. I mean, Rory McIlroy didn't have a banner year. The rugby players, can you give, could you give it to any of the rugby players after the World mm-hmm. Cup they had? I don't think so. We'll wait to see what happens in the playoffs over the yeah, next couple of days. If, if, if somebody if emerges Long, as a hero there, yeah. If Shane, Shane Long comes back from injury in the second leg and... Beats Germany and then beats Bosnia on his own, then uh, <laughs> yeah. you could maybe make an argument for him. But other than that, if you're talking about uh, achievement on a global scale... Uh, I don't think you need to go a whole lot further than Michael Conlon. Well, I uh, hope you enjoyed it, as I mentioned. The Billy Walsh was actually there. He turned up. This is um, just, this is, as I said, it was the way in for this fight for Jamie Conlon. And Billy Walsh suddenly just rocks in. I was chatting to Paddy Barnes at the time and to Michael Conlon. It was, it was sort of a funny one because you're trying not to tread on, <laughs> trying to tread in a private conversation. It's the first time they'd seen him, I presume, since he went to America. And there was a lot of good-natured here comes the Yank, you know, he's, he strolls in and, and there was hugs and really warm. I kind of left them to their conversation, which they had for a long time. There's clearly a lot of respect still there, but I thought there was a good take there from Michael even on the, the Billy Walsh story. So we move on. We're pretty much finished. So thanks for all the messages last night about the Jim McGuinness interview on the TV show. But we do have to clear something up, Murph, uh, about the good wall. Massive changes that Jim made to the good wall. Yeah, but he so, wasn't quite finished. No, so uh, I was in the green room afterwards and he walks up to me and he says, what the hell happened? And uh, I was like, yeah, what do you mean, Jim? And he said, you didn't let me do, do all my changes on the good wall. So there was there was obviously some confusion around, you know, I thought that I'd laid it out pretty clearly. Yeah. Uh, so what he did do was right, he brought Mick O'Dwyer into number one, top yeah. spot on top, the good wall. Yeah. O'Connell was off it by the time we left yeah. it and O'Driscoll was down somewhere He swapped nine. Roy Keane and Brian O'Driscoll. So Roy Keane is number... So as it stands, it's Mick O'Dwyer 1, yes. Roy Keane 2, Brian O'Driscoll is at 10. And we were quite short on time, but if he had got a chance to finish... So Paul O'Connell is now off the wall, having started the show last night at number 1. <laughs> yeah. What he wanted to do was to take Paul McGrath off, right. put Paul O'Connell in there. Okay. No, what he wanted to do was bring Brian O'Driscoll to three and then move everyone down, resulting with it. So Paul McGrath's off, Paul O'Connell is down to it. like nine. Okay. And everyone makes a move there. So, I mean, it, without doubt, it was obviously the most contentious thing <laughs> that happened in the entire interview. Uh, and we could only uh, pray that the, our, our post-show conversation tidied it up to, to Jim's satisfaction. All those changes would have taken a long time. So I think we, you know... <laughs> Literally, it would have been a two-hour show. All right, that's it for this show. Thanks very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Thanks very much to you, Kieran. Thank you, Owen. Do follow us on Twitter at secondcaptains, facebook.com forward slash secondcaptains. We'll come back to you on Monday, right before our second leg, having taken a deserved one-all draw in Sarajevo or whatever the city is that we're playing in. Zeneca, whatever. And we'll build up to the second leg which is on Monday night. Take care. How the is that? That's the second time it's gone off. Never go home. They never go home.